you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for coming. Today we're going to be talking about the origins of the name Jehovah and whether or not it's actually God's name. We're going to be talking about activist mommy completely disintegrating over TikTok and healthcare. We're going to be talking about the Mormon church formalizing punishments for trans members. But before we get into all of that, let's give a listen to some voicemails. Hey Owen, this is uh, Marco from Germany. I woke up from JWs a couple of years ago. Over the last six months, I've dripped that information to my parents um, about the truth behind the organization. They're pretty open, actually, surprisingly, but cannot get past what they class as three key fundamentals. One, that Jehovah's Witnesses use God's name. Two, that they don't take up arms or go to war. And three, that they're spreading a, a good news about something that's going to happen in the future. And they claim that no large-scale organizations on the planet are doing these three things. And I think these are points that are a lot of, that a lot of cognitively dissonant JWs hold on to. And I've become knowledgeable and can debunk most of what they say, but I struggle to debunk these three points. As an XJW, do you have any advice on how to approach or debunk these three fundamentals? Thank you. Very good question. I really appreciate you calling in with that. So let's just take a look at the three points that you brought up. The first one was God's name. Is God's name actually Jehovah? So we're going to get to that in one second. Let's put a pin in it for for the moment. The next point that you brought up was, um, let me find it. Hang on. Two, that they don't take up arms or go to war. Okay, point two, they don't take up arms or go to war. That's true, but there are other groups out there who don't do that. For example, Quakers do not take up arms or go to war. They have been involved in peaceful protesting and conscientious objection and things like that, too. Let's listen to the third point. And three, that they're spreading a, a good news about something that's going to happen in the future. And they claim that no large-scale organizations on the planet are doing these three things. All right. So let, let me just lay this out for you. If I created an organization and did those three things, would I be God's chosen organization? Is that something that I can do? Why does it have to be large-scale? How large-scale does it need to be? As... The John Cedars channel says, is it just a box ticking exercise? If it's just a box ticking exercise, I can do that. I can make it happen. I think Jehovah's Witnesses are doing it the wrong way by being toxic and meeting all of the points on various different cult models. And I think I can do it without meeting points on models like that. So I don't think that the idea that these groups are doing this means that they're God's chosen organization. I don't buy the idea that it's a box-ticking exercise. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so there's this this guy named Bart Ehrman, okay? Some of you guys may have heard of Bart Ehrman. He is awesome. He went into the field of biblical history, or whatever it is he does. He's a scholar in the field of Bible history. He went into this field as a, an evangelical Christian who believed that the Bible was the inerrant, 
word of God, perfectly preserved. By the time he got his PhD in the field, he realized that it was all made up. It's complete BS. He has this blog, the Bart Ehrman blog, and you have to pay money to get access to it, and the money goes to a charity and everything. Well, I have an article from the blog, from behind the paywall. I hope it's okay with him that I'm reading it publicly. I think it's extremely valuable, and, you know, it was paid for, so... Let's just read Ehrman's blog on the name Jehovah and see if it is actually correct or not. How firmly grounded in reality is the claim of Jehovah's Witnesses that the, that the divine name Jehovah belongs in the New Testament? So this is an interesting question with several possible ramifications. At first, I should explain that the divine name Jehovah doesn't belong in either testament, old or new in the opinion of most critical scholars outside the ranks of Jehovah's Witnesses. That's because Jehovah was not the divine name. So here's the deal. In the Hebrew Bible, the Christian Old Testament, God is given a number of different designations. Sometimes he's called God. The Hebrew word is El, or more commonly by far, the plural form of that word, Elohim, or the Almighty, Shaddai, or God Almighty, El Shaddai, or Lord, Adonai, or, well, lots of other things. But sometimes the God of Israel is actually given his personal name. Like everyone else, he has a name. And his name was four squares. It only shows four squares here, but I guess the Hebrew letters didn't show up in the PDF, but I can just show you guys what it looks like real quick. This right here, this is what the Tetragrammaton looks like here in the corner. Uh, for those of you who are actually watching this live or watching the clip or whatever, this is the Tetragrammaton. It's read from right to left instead of from left to right like typical English is. So this is a, basically the letter Y and then H and then uh, W and then H again. But we'll, we'll get into it more. Those were the letters that were missing from Bart Ehrman's blog, where the squares are. Let's continue reading. His name was YHWH. In English letters, that's what it looks like, YHWH. Written Hebrew, as you probably know, does not use vowels, only consonants. When you speak, of course, you provide the vowels, but ancient Hebrew speakers did not need to see the vowels on the page to know what the vowels were supposed to be, and so only consonants were written. Later, scribes realized that this made reading the texts very difficult for people who were not absolutely fluent in the language and so they added the vowels to the already written text. They could not very well insert new letters representing the vowels between the consonants since the consonants were already written on the page and there was no room for letters between them. So they developed a system of points that could be added above and below the consonantal letters to indicate which vowels were to be supplied with each consonant. So there might be a small dot beneath a letter or a dot next to a letter or over a letter or a small line under a letter or three dots arranged like an upside down pyramid under a letter or a small T-shape under a letter and so on, all representing different vowel sounds. You can see a list of Hebrew vowels in a number of places on the internet, including here. It's very, very complex. It's, it's a very complex language. This is not how Hebrew is written anymore from my understanding. This is like ancient Hebrew. These pointed Hebrew texts are the texts that most of us trained in Hebrew in college or seminary or graduate school learned. I find it hard to read Hebrew in any event, but really, really hard without the vowel points. I have colleagues, on the other hand, 
who read unpointed Hebrew like the newspaper. So back to the question. The original name of God, the Tetragrammaton, YHWH. Remember, Hebrew is written from right to left so that in English transliteration, the first letter Y refers to the Hebrew letter blah. That is the furthest to the right, and so on consists of four letters. It was considered exceptionally, extraordinarily holy, the name was, the Tetragrammaton, YHWH. It was the name of God himself. It was so sacred, so distinct from every other word and name in the Hebrew language, that there came a time when Jews thought that it should never, ever even be pronounced. The sacred name is sometimes called the Tetragrammaton, literally meaning the four letters. Since it came not to be pronounced, scholars are not absolutely certain how it was pronounced back in the days when it was. It's usually thought, though, that when pronounced, it was Yahweh. So non-Jewish scholars typically refer to the personal name of God in the Old Testament as Yahweh. He was called God or the Almighty or the Lord, but his name was Yahweh. What were Jewish readers supposed to do when they were reading a text that had the unpronounceable name YHWH in it? What were they supposed to say at that point? They couldn't say the name. So were they just supposed to be silent? But how then would anyone know that the Tetragrammaton was in the text at that point? Jewish scribes solved that problem when they started adding points to the unpointed Hebrew text. When the divine name occurred, Instead of giving it its pronounceable vowel points, they gave it the points that belonged to the word for Lord, Adonai. When you add the vowels of Adonai to the consonants of YHWH, it makes it very hard indeed to say. And when you do, it's Y-A-H-O-W-A-H, Yahowah, kind of like that, Yahowah, when it was originally supposed to be Yahweh. So obviously, you know, we're starting to see how it turned into Jehovah at this point, despite the fact that J's didn't exist until the 1600s. So let's continue reading. This was assigned to the reader not to say the name Yahweh, but to say instead Adonai. So they were reading the Tetragrammaton, but they were speaking the word Lord. When modern Bible translators were putting the Bible into modern European languages, they were confronted with this situation. There were various solutions devised to express the Tetragrammaton in English. In a lot of Bibles, you may have noticed this, or you may not have. There's a difference in the Old Testament between the word Lord, first letter capitalized, and the word L-O-R-D in all capitals. The first word translates Adonai, and the second word translates to the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. That's how, when you're reading a translation, you can tell if the Tetragrammaton is being used. But some translators took the Tetragrammaton with the vowels of Adonai and created an English word for it. In some European languages, the letters Y and J are equivalents, sound the same, as are W and V, think German. If you spell the name Yahweh as J-H-V-H and add the vowels of Adonai, you get Jehovah. That's a made-up English word, not a Hebrew word, and not before this an English word either. People who claim that Jehovah is the divine name are kind of right, but not really. The divine name was probably Yahweh. Technically speaking, the name Jehovah doesn't occur in the Old Testament at all. And it certainly doesn't occur in the New Testament, which was not written in Hebrew, so it never uses the the Tetragrammaton. So anytime you see the name Jehovah from the book of Matthew onward, it's artificially added anyways. The Tetragrammaton is God's name in Hebrew, and 
the New Testament was written in Greek, not in Hebrew. When the Old Testament came to be translated into Greek, both Yahweh and Adonai were translated by the Greek word kuplok. I don't know how to pronounce that word, which in English letters is kurios. Okay, kurios. It is the Greek word for Lord. It is a word that can be used to refer to your employer, your master, your superior, or to God, or to the personal name of God. And so when the New Testament refers to God as Lord, it is not clear if it's calling him by his personal name or if it's designating him as the Lord. But in neither case, in my judgment, does it make sense to translate the term using the made-up English word Jehovah. So the next question I have is, how do Jehovah's Witnesses respond to this? Because they know all of this, like the governing body. They know this. They know the origin of the name Jehovah. So I went over and I looked it up. I looked up their assessment of it. It's very interesting to get an idea of where they land with it. Let me give you kind of a broad overview of their assessment of it. Bear in mind, it's been a long time since I've read this. So I'm giving you the assessment that I got from it like years ago, last time I read it. They basically say, yeah, we know the Tetragrammaton translates to YHWH, and we know that JHVH is nowhere to be found in the Bible, and that the letter J didn't even exist until, like, thousands of years after this, you know, was even written, until, like, the 1600s or something like that. We know all of that, but we're choosing to use Jehovah anyways because it's the English translation. How they came up with the idea that Jehovah is the English translation of Yahweh is completely beyond me. I have absolutely no idea how they came to that conclusion or why they'd use the English translation. Why aren't you using the actual name Yahweh? That's what it actually was. Why are you using something other than what it is? It's totally nonsensical to me. It's a name. It's not, you're not supposed to translate it to something different. It's an actual name. Granted, Jesus is a translation into English also. It was Yeshua originally, I believe, not Jesus. Kind of weird that they're using Jesus also. They should probably be using Yeshua instead. Anyway, let's just read like the first two paragraphs of their breakdown of this and see what it says. The divine name represented by the four Hebrew consonants YHWH in Hebrew appears nearly 7,000 times in the Hebrew scriptures. This translation renders those four letters, known as the Tetragrammaton, Jehovah. That name is by far the most frequently occurring name in the Bible. No, no, it's not. Jehovah is not the most frequently occurring name in the Bible. That is a misrepresentation. Yahweh, I can grant you, may be the most frequently occurring name in the Bible, but not Jehovah. While the inspired writers refer to God by many titles and descriptive terms, such as Almighty, Most High, and Lord, the Tetragrammaton is the only personal name they use to identify God. That's true. Jehovah God himself directed Bible writers to use his name. For example, he inspired the prophet Joel to write, Everyone who calls on the name of Jehovah will be saved. And God caused one psalmist to write, May people know that you whose name is Jehovah, you alone are the most high over all the earth. I believe, yeah, that's Psalms 83, 18. That is in most Bibles, especially the King James Version. The King James Version mistranslates Yahweh into Jehovah at Psalms 83:18, so Jehovah's Witnesses like latched onto it and just won't let it go for dear life. In fact, the divine name appears some 700 times in the book of Psalms alone, a book of poetic writings that were to be sung and recited by God's people. Why then is God's name missing from many Bible translations? Why does this translation use the form Jehovah? 
And what does the divine name Jehovah mean? It means nothing. It's made up. It's fabricated. It doesn't have a meaning. Unless you're applying a meaning to it for some weird reason. Don't know why you're an authority on that. Why is the name missing from many Bible translations? The reasons vary. Some feel that Almighty God does not need a unique name to identify him. Others appear to have been influenced by the Jewish tradition of avoiding the use of the name, perhaps out of fear of desecrating it. Yeah, that's, that is true. Jewish people from like a long, long time ago decided not to use the name. They became superstitious. They didn't want to use Yahweh. As we read in Bart Ehrman's paper, they inserted the letters for Adonai, the vowels for Adonai, so that people wouldn't use God's name as cited in the Bible. So that 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 is true. Still, others believe that since no one can be sure of the exact pronunciation of God's name, it's better to just use a title such as Lord or God. Such objections, however, lack merit for the following reasons. Those who argue that Almighty God does not need a unique name ignore evidence that early copies of his word, including those preserved from before the time of Christ, contain God's personal name. As noted above, God directed that his name be included in his word some 7,000 times. Obviously, he wants us to know and use his name. Now, this 7,000 times figure here, I'm a little bit skeptical. Did Jehovah's Witnesses go through the New Testament and any time they found an instance of, of the word kurios, which translates to master, superior, or God, or whatever else, did they replace that with Jehovah? I bet they did. And if, if they did, and then they just counted it up in their Bible, that, that figure would not be correct. So I'm very skeptical about how many times God's name appears in the Bible. Translators who remove the name out of deference to Jewish tradition fail to recognize a key fact. While some Jewish scribes refused to pronounce the name, they did not remove it from their copies of the Bible. Ancient scrolls found in Qumran, near the Dead Sea, contain the name in many places. Why does the New World Translation use the form Jehovah? In English, the four letters of the Tetragrammaton are represented by the consonants YHWH. As was true of all written words in ancient Hebrew, the Tetragrammaton contained no vowels. When ancient Hebrew was in everyday use, readers easily provided the appropriate vowels. About a thousand years after the Hebrew scriptures were completed, Jewish scholars developed a system of pronunciation points, or signs, which we learned about from Bart Ehrman, by which to indicate what vowels to use when reading Hebrew. By that time, though, many Jews had the superstitious idea that it was wrong to say God's personal name out loud, so they used substitute expressions. Thus, it seems that when they copied the Tetragrammaton, they combined the vowels for the substitute expressions with the four consonants representing the divine name. We know that they combined the vowels for Adonai with the four consonants representing the divine name, which are Y-H-W-H. So in the end, after it was all said and done, the name came out as Y-A-H-O-W-A-H, Yahowah. That's how it was spelled after they put in nonsensical vowels into the tetragrammaton. Therefore, the manuscripts with those vowel points do not help in determining how the name was originally pronounced in Hebrew. Some feel that the name was pronounced Yahweh, whereas others suggest different possibilities. No, it was Yahweh. There are scholars, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew scholars out there today who read unpointed Hebrew, and there is a wide consensus with everybody outside of Jehovah's Witnesses that it was pronounced Yahweh, whereas others suggest different possibilities. Others being Jehovah's Witnesses, I guess. 
a Dead Sea Scroll containing a portion of Leviticus in Greek transliterates the divine name Io. Besides that form, early Greek writers also suggest the pronunciations Ia, Iabe, or Iue. However, there is no reason to be dogmatic. <laughs> this coming from Jehovah's Witnesses. There's no reason to be dogmatic. I love it. That Thank you, Jehovah's Witnesses. I completely agree. There's no reason to be dogmatic. <laughs> Zero self-awareness from these people. Zero. I just, this cracks me up, man. I swear, these people have no self-awareness whatsoever. None to be found. Anyways, uh, I'm skeptical of their claim here. A Dead Sea Scroll containing a portion of Leviticus in Greek transliterates the divine name. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm just a little bit skeptical. I'd like a little bit of evidence on that. They're not providing any kind of citations or anything here at all. They're just claiming things. So I'm going to withhold belief until proven otherwise on that one. At any rate, they said, there's no reason to be dogmatic. We simply don't know how God's ancient servants pronounced this name in Hebrew. What we do know is that God used his name repeatedly in communication with his people, that they addressed him by that name, and that they used it freely in speaking with others. I love it, man. This is just comical almost. Why then does this translation use the form Jehovah? Because that form of the divine name has a long history in the English language. There you go. That's why they use the name Jehovah because they claim it's an English translation. Why they would choose to use the English translation over the actual name is completely beyond me, but there's their reason for using it. The first rendering of God's personal name in an English Bible appeared in 1530 in William Tyndale's translation of the Pentateuch. He used the form Iua, I-E-H-O-U-A-H. -E over time, the English language changed adding J's, because J's didn't exist at the time. And the spelling of the divine name was modernized. For example, in 1612, Henry Ainsworth used the form I-E-H-O-V-A-H, basically Jehovah with an I, the, again, because J's didn't exist yet, throughout his translation of the Book of Psalms. Then in 1639, when that work was revised and printed with the Pentateuch, the form Jehovah was used. In 1901, the translators who produced the American Standard Version of the Bible used the form Jehovah, where the divine name appeared in the Hebrew text. Explaining why he used Jehovah instead of Yahweh in his 1911 work, Studies in the Psalms, respected Bible scholar Joseph Bryant Rotherham said he wanted to employ a form of the name more familiar while perfectly acceptable to the general Bible reading public. All right, so the bottom line here, that the, the thing that I'm pulling from this is Jehovah is not the divine name, and they are admitting it in this article, but justifying its use anyways. That's what I'm getting from this article that Jehovah's Witnesses have produced. What Bart Ehrman said was completely accurate and supported throughout the entirety of this article by Jehovah's Witnesses. They just don't care. They just want to use the name Jehovah anyways, despite the fact that it's not God's name, never was God's name, not even close to God's name. It's a fabrication. So there you go, Jehovah's Witnesses. If you were wondering why Jehovah's Witnesses use the name Jehovah, it's because they like it. When we come back, we're going to listen to a few more voicemails. Then we're going to be getting into Activist Mommy. So give us about 30 seconds, and we will be right back. 
you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hello, Telltale. I'm Germ, and I have a question for you. I'm a big Elizabeth Warren supporter, but I have Bernie writing as a close second. Uh, They have a lot of similar ideas and policies. However, a lot of Bernie supporters, the so-called Bernie bros, have really turned me off from joining that camp. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a cult, but I do think there's a lot of cult-like behavior going on over there that I find alarming. What are your thoughts on that? Thanks. I appreciate that that phone call, Germ. Mentally diseased. He's an ex-Jehovah's Witness. He's going to be at Faithless Forum this year. If you guys are unaware of what Faithless Forum is, check out the website, faithlessforum.com. I'm going to be speaking there. Germ is actually going to be speaking there, too. Holy Kool-Aid, Genetically Modified Skeptic, Shannon Q, Paula Gia, Seth Andrews, uh, Matt Dillahunty. A whole bunch of really cool people are going to be there. John Cedars, Lloyd Evans, he will be there too. Lots of really cool people. So if you want to meet all of us, come to Faithless Forum and meet us. For the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses watching, it's going to be a pretty awesome time. I can tell you that. We're going to have a Jehovah's Witness panel with me, Lloyd Evans, and some other people on it. So check that out. To answer your question, Germ, or mentally diseased, I haven't seen evidence of Bernie bros. I'm not saying they don't exist. I just haven't been there to be attacked by them, I guess. Maybe that's because I'm a Bernie supporter, so I'm never saying, like, overly critical things about Bernie. I have no doubt that there are really toxic people in Bernie's fan base. I don't know if they're more toxic than Elizabeth Warren's fan base or Joe Biden's fan base. I don't know. But I did talk about them recently in a video that actually just released this week. So I talked about them in the context of a cult If they existed, it would be a level two cult. I talked about the cult layer model and how decentralized, unfocused cults would be a level one cult. Decentralized, focused cults would be level two. And centralized or hierarchical cults would be level three. Since Bernie Bros would be decentralized but focused on a single specific figure, I would say they would be a level two cult if they did exist. I'm taking your word for it. Uh, I don't want toxicity from anybody. I don't want toxicity from any fan base at all. I would like it if people just got along with each other and weren't dicks to each other, honestly. So if they're out there being dicks to people, stop it. I'm on your side here. You should be able to vote for who you feel you want to vote for and not have to worry about Bernie supporters raining hellfire down on you. So even though I'm a Bernie supporter, that's how I feel. Yes. Hi, Owen. My name is Jeanette calling at the request of an individual with special needs named Carly. And she just wants to say thank you for all the great work you do. She had someone try to convince her to be a Jehovah's Witness. And thanks to your videos, she shut that down rather quickly. So thank you, Owen. Hope you have a great day. And keep up the great work. Bye for now.
I appreciate you calling in. That's really fantastic. That's, I'm so glad to hear that I'm helping people, just anybody at all, honestly. Like, even one person benefiting from the things that I'm talking about is a win for me. So, thank you for calling in. And Carly, I'm glad that you benefited from what I had to say. Thank you for listening. You, you didn't have to listen to what I had to say. So glad I saved you from that, that mess that it could have been. Uh, hey, Owen, this is Byron in Georgia. Turns out I've been working on my uh, genealogy uh, just you know, for something to do. Joseph Smith is my... Like third or fourth cousin, twice removed, or something, something like that. Like he's blood. So uh, sorry about all that, and have a good day. So you're the guy, huh? You are the guy who's responsible for what your fourth cousin, twice removed, did. That's pretty messed up stuff, man. Now, this idea that people are responsible for what their ancestors did or what their father did or grandfather did or whatever, that's all biblical bullshit, man. You're responsible for you and your actions. My dad, complete piece of shit. I, I don't want to be associated with that, dude. My mom isn't great either. I, I'm sure you guys are well aware of that. I don't want to be associated with what my family has done. I'm making a name for myself in my own way, separate from them. So thank you for the phone call. I appreciate that. That's awesome that you decided to call in and everything. Kind of interesting that you're related to Joseph Smith. I wouldn't take it too hard, though. Um, the dude has caused a lot of problems for people in the past. That's very true, but you're not responsible for that. That's just biblical bullshit. Hey, uh, this is Beatrice from Texas. I've been thinking about this curious question about Jehovah's Witness. How do they deal with people with mental disabilities like autism, Down syndrome? I'm rather quite curious. Okay, thank you. Uh, good question. Actually, they are, in my experience, they have been very, very supportive of anybody with disabilities. And, th and there's a reason for this, okay? So I've talked about how Jehovah's Witnesses kind of want to have their own government in the past, right? I've talked about how they have this whole setup of uh, elders who act as investigators and basically line managers or generals in a, in a lot of different ways. And anytime there's some event that takes place, the elders will investigate, they'll talk to the people, and they'll try to solve the problem. And if the elders are incapable of solving the problem, they'll escalate it to the overseer, to the circuit overseer, district overseer, whatever else. So it's, uh, it's like a, having a sub-government inside of another government. And Jehovah's Witnesses call it a theocracy. They say they're run by a theocracy with Jehovah at its head. Of course, in reality, it's the governing body at its head. It's not a theocracy. So what you have is um, a supposed theocracy within the United States government operating in many ways independently of the U.S. government. And they always say that Jehovah's laws come before man's law. That's what they say. If man's law conflicts with what Jehovah wants, a.k.a. what the governing body wants, 
you do what the governing body wants you to do, even if that means breaking the law. And they, they have passed down orders in the past that broke the law. For example, in the 30s, I think, the 1930s, they ordered their people not to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, that was a violation of U.S. law at the time. And Jehovah's Witnesses got beaten and jailed for that. It was wrong for them to not be allowed to not say the Pledge of Allegiance. And they did fight that in court and won. But Jehovah's Law comes before man's law every single time. So having this sub-government within this government means they have a sub-community within, within wider society. And... They want it to be completely autonomous. They're basically preparing it to be completely separate from wider society for when the time comes that it needs to be, quote-unquote. Like when Armageddon starts, they're preparing for that day. When Armageddon starts, they can completely unhinge themselves from wider society and be fine. So when you ask, how, the, how do they treat or deal with people with mental disabilities like autism or Down syndrome. They take care of them really well, actually. In my experience, my dad, growing up, claimed to be handicapped. Long story, I'll get into it another day. And they took care of him. Like, they showed up every week to, you know, when they went in service. Service is basically like their volunteer time. Like, if they, if they need to help somebody out, they can count that time in service. So they'd come over to our house because my dad claimed to be handicapped and they'd just hang out with him for an hour. They had a visitation list with all of the handicapped people in the congregation and service groups would alternate going to visit them. So one week my dad would get brother blah to visit. The next week we would get brother blah, you know, different brother blah. They're related, but they're not the same brother blah. Anyway, uh, that's how that's kind of how it worked. They take in my experience, they take care of them very well because they want to have a sub government. They want to be completely autonomous and make sure that everyone's taken care of when the time comes, when Armageddon happens. So good question. Thank you for that question. OK, I'll tell you what, we're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about activist mommy completely disintegrating over TikTok and healthcare. Give us 30 seconds. We will be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Our next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Doctors on TikTok Encourage Kids to Get Vaccines and Birth Control Without Parental Consent. So let's give this article a read and see what it has to say. This is by Activist Mommy. January 25th, 2020 is when this came out. Yet another social media app has turned out to be an avenue for strangers to prey on children and encourage them to sneak behind their parents' backs to acquire secret medical treatment. This time, however, they're strangers with medical degrees. TikTok is a popular new Chinese app, which ironically is available and popular in virtually every country except totalitarian China. I'm not really exact, super sure why she decided to point that out, whatever. In which users film their own short music videos. 
It's been among the most downloaded apps worldwide for the last two years and is especially popular among young people. So there are a couple of videos that we can watch on here. I wanted to give them a watch. The way she's saying it, these are just like really horrifically bad videos, right? Like this has got to be really, really terrible. So let's watch one of these and just like see how bad it is. So let me just describe it because some people will be listening to this and not watching it. There's a woman pointing up at the screen, at the very top of the screen, and at the top it says vaccines prevent dot dot dot, and she's dancing to music, and she points to her left and it says measles, points again, polio, pertussis, hepatitis, influenza, HPV, meningitis, mumps, varicella, tetanus, rotavirus, pneumoniacus, and then she says vaccines don't cause autism. Vaccines don't cause autism. Awesome video, I think. Not really providing medical advice to anybody. <laughs> I think that's a little bit overblown, honestly. She's just saying this is what vaccines prevent. This is what they don't cause. That's not medical advice. There is another video. Let's just slowly step through this video now. Somebody out, this woman starts the video and there's a little thing on screen says, did you know? She's dancing. You can see your doctor without your parent for birth control, STD screening, STD treatment for a pregnancy test to answer your questions about sex and give you scientifically accurate information. If you're 12 or older, the doctor will politely ask all adults to exit for this part of the doctor's visit to have a confidential conversation about your health. So basically it's doctors saying, hello, I am a doctor. If you come into a doctor's office, then the doctor will treat you because you're a human being and you deserve healthcare, whether your parents are trying to prevent me from treating you or not. That seems super legit to me. That seems like an honestly really, really good thing. Doctors have an obligation to do no harm. It's in the Hippocratic Oath, and they are only looking out for the best interests of their patients. That includes children. That includes everybody. And if parents are too fucking stupid to realize that vaccines do not cause autism and are not dangerous. I'm sorry, guys. I know I have anti-vaxxers in my audience. I'm telling you now, that is a stupid position to hold, and you need to reevaluate it. I'm serious. I have respect for everybody to the best of my ability. I respect you as a person if you're an anti-vaxxer. I need you to reevaluate your position because that's fucking stupid. That's a stupid position to hold. I'm sorry. I'm not usually that direct with people, you know? Sometimes that shuts people down. But that's just how it is, guys. Vaccines don't cause autism. And they don't do all of the terrible shit that people are claiming that they do. It's all propaganda, I'm telling you. Point here is, I don't see anything wrong with what these people are doing. They're saying, I'm a doctor. If you go into any doctor's office, not just mine, any doctor's office, then they will, they will be willing to give you these things. They can legally give you these things without your parents' permission because this is just normal healthcare stuff that every human should have a right to, just normal healthcare stuff. According to Chicks on the Right, it's also popular among doctors looking to convince children that they can and should take advantage of laws allowing them to receive vaccinations, birth control, STD screenings, and more without their parents' knowledge. In one video that went viral and allegedly sparked death threats, a doctor taught her young followers of vaccines prevent a battery of infectious diseases. Really? Sparked death threats? Why are people threatening the, this 
woman, seriously, she was just saying what they prevent and what they don't cause. What is so wrong with this? This is this is crazy. Fair enough. We won't even touch the issue of vaccine efficacy. But don't you think that's a conversation to be had, you know, in your office with people who are actually your patients? Telemedicine shouldn't be conducted via social media, folks. This is not telemedicine. This is just education. Are you saying that we shouldn't be talking about evolution outside of a biology 101 college classroom? We shouldn't be talking about biology at all, anywhere except for in the classroom. We're not allowed to talk about it. Nobody can talk about it. PhDs can't get on social media and talk about how evolution works. Is that what you're saying? You know what? Christians aren't allowed to talk about the Bible anywhere except for in church, period, ever. It should be illegal. That's just a completely ridiculous position to have. Seriously, think that through for a moment. This person is giving not not medical advice, just general science information. That is what they're providing right now. General science information. That's it. And you are comparing it to telemedicine. That is a stretch if I've ever seen one. Another doctor who will admit has considerably fresher dance moves. Oh my God. Use the app to encourage kids to seek sexual health services without discussing it with their parents. They should be able to get information if they need it and pregnancy tests if they need them. I don't see what's so controversial about this. Give them what they need. Give people what they need to have the mo the healthiest society possible. That's what I say. That includes birth control. Did you know, the caption in the video begins, you can see your doctor without your parent for birth control, STD screening, STD treatment, for a pregnancy test, to answer your questions about sex, and give scientifically accurate information. If somebody is worried about having an STD, that means they've done the deed by now, probably. That's, that's most likely what that means. And preventing them from getting STD screening is only going to make the situation worse. They should be able to get STD screening, period, for public safety reasons. It's absolutely absurd to me that they're, that, that activist mommy, just, this woman is completely absurd to me, period. She's just an absolutely absurd human being. She's like a caricature of herself. She's like, it's like somebody is making a, an ironic joke about what the most obnoxious right-wing conspiracy theorist nutcase would look like. And here she is. This is her blog article. That's what it looks like. Tell you what, let's take another short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Mormon Church formalizing punishments for trans members. Give us 30 seconds. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The Mormon Church recently released a new handbook to the public that changed a lot of rules. And Zelf on the shelf here on their website, it says, let's be clear what this is. It's a change and not a clarification. So the Mormon Church did not hold these views before they do now. These are changes. The biggest change, a lot of these are just kind of procedural things, just regular things that don't really affect anybody in their day-to-day -day life. 
One of the biggest ones is the change to punishments for trans members. It's a really big deal, and it's all over the place right now. I'll tell you what, let's read this other article by Advocate and see what it has to say. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, known informally as the Mormon Church, has never been supportive of transgender identity, but now it has fully spelled out its anti-trans positions in a new handbook available online. Gender is an essential characteristic of Heavenly Father's plan of happiness, says the General Handbook, serving in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. God, the name. Can't they please shorten that fucking thing? I, I'm, I swear, from this moment on, I am going to complain about the name anytime I'm forced to say it. The intended meaning of gender in the family proclamation is biological sex at birth. So let me explain to you guys, from my understanding, I was not a Mormon. But this is my understanding of the, of the Mormon belief system and why the trans issue is even an issue. It's because they have this analogy in the church where before you were born, you were just a hand. And after you came to earth, your, your soul is like the hand. And when you come to earth, your body is like a glove that fits over the hand. You are eternal. Your soul is eternal. It has always existed. It will always exist. You are who you are. You are who you will always will be. So when you come to earth and say, holy shit, I am actually a woman. I'm not a man. You're basically saying God done fucked up somewhere along the line to put you in the wrong body. So it's kind of like a from my understanding, a slight against God to say that you're trans. And so they they say that whether you are a woman or not, if you were born as a male, then that's what you are for all time, and you're living in sin by not accepting that. That's pretty much the idea behind the doctrine. Church leaders counsel against elective medical or surgical intervention for the purpose of attempting to transition to the opposite gender of a person's birth sex. quote-unquote sex reassignment. Um according to the article here. The handbook continues. Leaders advise that taking these actions will be a cause for church membership restrictions. The book also takes a stand against social transition, changes in dress, grooming, names, or pronouns intended to reflect a gender identity different from the one assigned at birth. That will result in restrictions for the duration of this transition, the document reads, for the duration of this transition, as if this isn't a lifelong thing that people are coming to realize about themselves. How absolutely ridiculous is this? And depressing. Those restrictions could include limits on temple attendance. Although trans people are welcome to be baptized or receive communion, the Salt Lake Tribune reports. And the Mormon priesthood, which is reserved for men, will not admit trans men, the book makes clear. It builds on a statement by a top church leader last fall that gender assigned at birth is eternal. That's what I was saying a minute ago. Gender assigned at birth is eternal. That's their whole belief system. So when you say, I'm not who I'm supposed to be, they take it as a personal attack on God, pretty much. That's, that's my understanding of it. The book replaces two earlier ones and reflects the views of the church's two highest governing bodies, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. 
The earlier printed books were available only to faith leaders, while the new one, published online, is accessible to all. There are a number of moral policies that we've now put on paper of where the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve stand. Elder Anthony D. Perkins, Executive Director of the Church's Correlation Department, which oversees the creation of the handbook, said in, the press, said in a press release. One of those moral policies that is new is around persons who identify as transgender. The reason that policy has been added is we've had an increase in questions coming from bishops and stake presidents saying, what can a transgender person do? What are the guidelines? The transgender policy states that everyone is welcome to attend our meetings and that we should create a warm, welcoming environment for all including persons who identify as transgender. At the same time, the policy clarifies that some of the things in the church are gender-specific. So gender is completely built into the structure of this religion. Men have certain roles, women have certain roles, period. And those roles and genders have been assigned to you since before you were born and after you die. And you announcing to the world that you are not how you appear to be, you are not the person that you appear to be on the outside, is telling God that he fucked up. It's just absurd from top to bottom. Extremely disappointing, extremely sad, extremely hurtful. And honestly, one more reason to leave Mormonism. You don't need them. Just get the fuck out of there and find community among people who understand what you're going through, understand how you've been hurt, and also understand that it's not right what's, what's happened, what the Mormon church has been doing. One super chat from Evan Inge. So seeing your video earlier, what would you say are key differences between your new cult model and the bite model? Is the bite model still relevant? Yes, yes, the bite model is still relevant. Thank you so much for asking that question. It's extremely important. The bite model I've noticed primarily applies to hierarchical or uh, centralized cults. My model mostly applies to decentralized, focused or non-focused cults. So the bite model is still perfectly relevant for the thing that it's referring to. My model is referring to the groups that the bite model would exclude otherwise, basically. I have the, the cult layer model, which is level one, level two, and level three cults decentralized, focused, decentralized, non-focused, and centralized and hierarchical. And the bite model applies to level three. My models uh, at this moment, I haven't written one up for level two yet, but level one cults, I wrote a model up for role, role model formation, how they form out a hierarchy, a mock hierarchy when one is otherwise not present. And I'm working on more. Just stay tuned for more. Thank you for that question. It's a really good question. The Gaytheist. What is your opinion on hypnosis? I find it to be very effective when done right, but it's rarely done right. Honestly, I thought hypnosis was complete bunk for like a really, really long time. I thought it was just bullshit, like made up. Doesn't work the way people claim it does at the very least. But then I heard like people that who I know to be very deep thinkers and very smart people talking about hypnosis as real and legitimate. So, for example, Sam Harris believes that, you know, he has a whole thing about hypnosis. Also, um, Stephen Hassan talks about hypnosis a lot. And I was like super 
taken aback by that. Like, you know, Sam Harris talks about it. Maybe I can say, all right, he he may be going off the deep end a little bit there. But Sam Harris and Stephen Hassan both talking about hypnosis in a semi-legitimate way makes me wonder if there is something to it. Thanks for the super chat. I appreciate that. Exalted one. My man, you've got that late night, smooth, creamy, jazzy DJ voice. No homo, but I would listen to you read off peanut butter ingredients. I had a jar of peanut butter sitting on my desk until about two hours ago. I took it upstairs. It would have been so perfect to sit here and read <laughs> to read the uh, read the ingredients. That would have been awesome. Damn, I wish I'd left it downstairs. Oh, well. I appreciate that. Nervardia, this might be the last time I can see you live for the next few months. Uni started. Oh, that's sad. Damn. Well, thank you for coming anyways, and thank you for the super chat. I really appreciate that. Omega Riley, just wanted to tell everyone here, I think y'all are pretty flippin' nifty. Don't forget to like the stream. Yes, thank you, Omega Riley. Thank you for coming and for the super chat. Mars, I'm in love with a Jehovah's Witness. He struggles with all the rules of the religion and breaks them even sometimes, but he'd never think of leaving. What do I do? That's complicated. I've done a couple of videos on how to deprogram a religious extremist. I think parts one and two are on my main channel. Try giving those a watch. If he's willing to break some of the rules, then he may already be on his way out. That's a good sign. Uh, just try not to give him the impression that you are opposed to what he believes or opposed to him believing it, because then his guard's going to be thrown up, and you don't want his guard to be up. Make him feel that you support him, if at all possible, but poke and prod lightly and ask gentle questions that kind of poke holes in the ideology, things like that. That would be a good start. Uh, thank you for the super chat, and good luck with it, because that's a rough situation, seriously. My ex had to put up with me believing it, but being on the outside anyway. She did an awful lot for me that she really didn't have to do, like accommodating my belief system. She may have even gone a little bit too far in accommodating it. Don't risk your life. For example, don't refuse to have a blood transfusion for his sake or something like that. Make sure you're safe. Make sure he's safe. Uh, just be careful, you know. And, and like I said, try to push and prod lightly, but don't make him feel like he's on the defensive with it. Raul Esquivel Rubenstein, your thoughts on transports? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Truly, I really have not researched it enough to know. Generally, I fall on the side of inclusion, just be inclusive wherever possible. But I understand that this is an extremely complex subject, so I'm going to leave it in the hands of the people whose jobs it is to determine that. And I'm not going to get involved, because I am not smart enough in this area to talk about it. I will tell you, though, that I think it's perfectly acceptable to have the conversation. I, I think it's okay for people to talk about this if they want to. I just don't know, is all. I, I'm just not knowledgeable enough on the subject to talk about it, so I'm not going to espouse an opinion. Just gonna, by default, try to land on the side of inclusion where possible and trust that the people whose jobs it is to determine these things know what they're talking about and know the science and the math behind it. So there, there's your answer. It's probably kind of a cop-out answer, but it is what it is. So thank you guys for coming. I will talk to you next week. 
If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.